so at this time, I'm going to invite the children to go out for their snack. We're going to have a three-hour sermon. It's going to be a three-hour snack. Uh, but let's let's yeah, it's going to be a big snack. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we pray for our young people as they go for their time of fellowship, and we ask that their time would be blessed, and uh, that you bless the food they are about to receive. And Lord, as we are to receive from your word, we ask now that you would speak in ways that we can hear you. For we ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Please be seated. All right. Good morning. I prayed today that we would know life, and I'm hearing a lot of life. It's good. The church is at its best when it's at its most vulnerable. The church is at its best when it's driven to its knees to pray to God for help. And maybe that has something to do with the nature of love. Love can't really be expressed with power. It's got to be expressed in vulnerability. And the church is to embody the love of Jesus all around. We don't have to look too hard to see times when the church had power and influence and the things that happened because of that. Our, our history is stained with a church in power. But when we are driven to our knees and, said, Lord, and, and say, Lord, what now? What are we to do? How are we to live? It's in that attitude, that posture of prayer and seeking that Jesus seems to really show up. We're in a time right now of we don't know what's going to happen. Right? What is life after COVID going to look like? And it can be scary. Um, things don't look like the way they used to. Will they ever again? Should they? We don't know. But the call for us is to live in a certain way in faith and to live seeking God's direction and to be the blessing God has called us to be. That's what it's all about. John was writing uh, from a place of exile on an island, and he was writing to the believers um, who were experiencing persecution, and also they were coming to a point where Jesus' death and resurrection happened a long time previous. And they're kind of saying, well, what now? What are we supposed to do? And the book of Revelation, I don't know if you've ever read the book, but it's kind of scary. There are some scary imagery going on in the book of Revelation. It's apocalyptic literature. And they can't come out, they, John can't come out and say exactly what he wants to say because they're our persecuted church. And if he said something like, that, that fox, that Caesar, he's going to be overthrown soon, well, persecutions would have just exploded. They're attacking, they're a threat to Rome. So he's got to be very very subversive, and so there's lots of instruction to say, now let the reader understand what I'm saying here. The problem is, 2,000 years later, it's hard for the reader to understand what he's saying here, right? But the opening to this letter, there's so much in it. And I want us today to, to focus in on this because I find in it a direction, I find encouragement, and I find that we are to remember, and then we are to adopt an attitude to go forward as we discern God's will for us. So let's, let's take a closer look 
this morning. I used to hate writing letters. It doesn't happen much anymore. But you, what, what format do you use? And if you do a, a, like a proper business letter, you have to have the sender's information and the receiver's information, and then to whom it may concern, right? And if it's a personal letter, it's not all that stuff, but it's like, hey, how's it going? When John wrote this letter, it has the sender information, which is really hard, John. Right? Do you think this is the first Dear John letter? Um, John is so humble, right? He's like, not the apostle of the Lord, just John. You know me. And then the recipients are, are listed as the seven churches in Asia Minor. And in the next part, the next chapters, he actually writes a message to each and every one of them, a revelation from the Lord. Um, <clears throat> but then he doesn't say to whom it may concern, and he doesn't say, I hope that you're doing well. He says, grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you. And we could do a whole series on that. What is grace? It is gifts, right? It is the giftedness of God. It's getting what we don't deserve from God. Grace is that, is that reality of I am enough. God has created me to be here and to be used right now by him for his glory. I have purpose. Grace is giftedness from God. And then there is peace. And the Greek word for peace is irene, and it's to put back together that which is broken. And then there's a sense of wholeness and wellness in that. And in, in the book study we're, we're doing with Todd Hunter, Deep Peace, uh, I love this. Uh, in the introduction, he says that peace is what happens when we can entrust our care to another. I love that. I remember having a conversation with Kim a long time ago about how is it that our parents knew exactly what to do? They knew the answer. And it's like, when we're raising kids, all we have is questions. <laughs> what the heck are we doing? <laughs> right? How, what do we do with this? What do we do with that? And yet, it seemed like our parents, well, you're all the same generation. What did you do? How did you do this? Um, but this, that feeling of, I am provided for, I am protected, I am safe. That's peace. That's John's prayer for the church. Not just those ones in Asia Minor, but for the church. That we would recognize that we have been gifted by God. We have a lot to be thankful for. And we are to be filled with the peace. But these things don't exist in a vacuum. They exist in relationship with God. And so he says, uh, so grace and peace to you from... He who is, God who is, who was, and is yet to come. The eternal one. That comes from God alone. And then from the seven spirits before the throne. Well, that's just plain confusing. I thought there was one spirit. So why, why is there seven? And so there's lots of, I looked at a lot of commentaries this week. What the heck is seven spirits about? And there's some people who say it could just be the perfect presence of God. Because seven is a perfect, holy God number. It could be related to the seven churches. So the Holy Spirit that makes us one with God because the Holy Spirit fills us and is in the presence of God. Or it could be the attributes of God, the creating uh, spirit, the, the spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, strength, knowledge, fear, uh, and delight, worship. It could be that kind of thing. 
I think it's enough to say, though, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. And so this comes from being in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Um, I don't know about you, but when I am spending too much time on the, the CNN news network or the, Canadian, the CBC news network or on Twitter, the things that are inspired in me are anger, fear, frustration, angst, and just like what is going on, that feeling of displacement. That's what shapes and forms me. John is praying that that the church would be filled with grace and peace. That comes through relationship with, with God. Knowing that God's story is much bigger than my own. God is eternal. Knowing that the Holy Spirit is within me, within his church, and in the throne room of God. There's grace and peace to be had there. Um, and so that's, that's where that comes from. But then John moves on to the, whole, the, the, the Jesus Christ himself. And this, this is awesome. We get peace from Jesus Christ, who is a faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of, the earth, of earth. Think of that. He's the faithful witness. He shows us how to do it. In John 18.37, Pilate says to him, you're a king then. And Jesus says, you say that I'm a king. But the reason I was born and came into the world was to testify to the truth. And we can trust in Jesus because he is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. And he is our example of what it is to be a witness. He's also a trailblazer. He's the firstborn from the dead. And so when we have loved ones who die, we don't grieve and despair as those without hope because we have a hope. Because Jesus rose from the dead. He's conquered death and so we have that hope. But when it comes to Jesus being the ruler of the nations, can we actually believe that? Is Jesus the ruler of the nations when Russia invades Ukraine? Or we see what's happening in Syria or Yemen or Central African Republic or wherever. Is Jesus really the ruler of that? And I think the better way to understand that is that Jesus is in the process of subduing the nations through, through the church, the presence of his people in the world. <clears throat> when I was a kid, I used to get really angry when things weren't fair. Can you relate? But I knew how to push my mom's buttons. And I would point at this experience and I'd say, See, God doesn't care about me. And then she would sit down, we'd have a talk. And during the talk, she goes, but you know God loves you, right? I'm like, yeah, I know God loves me. And she'd say, well, you know that you've been called according to his purpose, right? Yes. And then she would quote Romans 8.28. If God loves you, and if he's called you, then we can trust him. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Our hope in this world is not in the princes of this world, the prime ministers and presidents. The, you know, that's not where our hope lies. But in that Jesus' reign is extending and things will be well. And because of this, John moves into affirmation and praise. 
He said, gives, give, that he gives praise to God who loves us, freed us from our sins, made us to live under his reign, gave us a purpose as priests and intercessors and healers, and he prays that all glory and power would be given to God forever and ever. I have to say that one thing that I've learned here at St. John's is that there is never a bad time to praise Jesus. There's never a bad time. I remember I was with John, I was with John Galbraith in the ICU, and it was a bad situation, and I said to the family, let's pray, and we all bowed our heads, and I thought, I have no idea what to pray. And then John Galbraith speaks up, which is never good, (laughs) except in this case, and he said, God, thank you. And I was jarred by that because this person was suffering. He said, thank you. Thank you that you are here and that we can rely on you right now. Thank you for so-and-so that she is in the palm of your hand and that her destiny isn't in this room. It's with you. Thank you. We can thank God in all situations. And not like for thank you, I get to suffer, but thank you because this isn't the end and that you are at work and we have a hope. Thank God that he is at work in this world. Why do we praise Jesus? Because he is coming to the rescue. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. That means everybody is included in witnessing Jesus' return. This is the concerning part. Everyone, because of this, is going to mourn. We'll get back to that in a second. But so shall it be, amen. I am the beginning, I am the end. And the one one who was and who is and who is to come, the Almighty. So John is praising this because Jesus is coming back in the clouds to our rescue. Why in the clouds? Well, he went up in the clouds at the ascension, but also in Daniel, the prophet refers to the Son of Man who's coming to deliver us. So when Jesus is saying, I am coming with the clouds, I am coming to the rescue. Praise God. We need rescue. There are many people in our world today who do not know of Jesus and they do not believe in the power of Jesus. It was the same in ancient days too. But the assurance here is that everyone will come to recognize that Jesus is Lord. But why is there mourning? Well, mourning is actually a good thing. It's just like repent is a good thing. When it's used a lot today, we think it's somebody saying, hey, you should feel guilty about yourself. But repent is, I love you, come back. Come back to me. Turn around from that. Come back to me. And the kind of mourning we're talking about here is the godly sorrow that transforms character. Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians. He says, See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness and eagerness to clear yourselves. What indignation. What alarm and longing. What concern and readiness to see that justice is done. At every point you proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. Mourning is a sign of repentance, of turning back to Jesus and longing for him. And we can have hope in that because I know I got people on my prayer list that I want them to mourn. (laughs) The world is changing and we have no idea what's going to happen. I guess that's always been the case, isn't it? But right now it just feels very potent. What is... 
our proper posture. May the grace and peace of God fill us. May it define us. You are here for a purpose. You are not forgotten. And our posture now is to say, Jesus, who are you calling us to be? What are you calling us to do? Help us to be vulnerable and real so that you can work in and through us. Because that's who we're called to be. Let's pray. Jesus, we pray that you would give us your grace, that we can keep our eyes on you and have a holy expectation for your future breaking into our present. Lord, please use us to be bearers of grace, to be uh, those who heal in your name, those who intercede for our world. Please use us to be peacemakers wherever we go and help us to model your love that people might come to recognize you and come to follow you and to reflect that same love to others. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.